Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr. G and sitting next to me looking glorious as usual. Well, it could only be Dr. Rat. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, you can, Dr. G. You also look radiant. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, Dr. G, the Romans had a semi-decent year last time we spoke 21 eagles of a possible 50 i'm still coming to terms with that they bounced back very quickly after all the pestilence and whatnot but can they maintain this is the question so last time we spoke listeners the romans had faced off against their old foes the volsci and the aquii and they won a convincing resounding victory (laughs) yes to the extent that one of the consuls got himself a triumph. Hello. Yeah. And the other one got the slightly lesser, but still kind of impressive, Ovatio. Mm. Mm. And I believe you foreshadowed that there was some controversy with this. Well, perhaps not controversy about whether they deserved it or anything. But in Livy's account, there is a slight hitch. Because, of course, whenever things start to go well for Rome externally... Things fall apart spectacularly internally. (laughs) Rome is what we like to call a hot mess. (laughs) Exactly. So, what happens in my account is that there is some trouble at home, and this caused a delay of the triumphs. Like, they're like, not the time. (laughs) There's other stuff going on, so it is postponed. (laughs) What that other stuff is, (laughs) well, Dr. G. (laughs) I've got this vision of a guy wheeling out the special chariot, being like... (laughs) (laughs) They'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, trouble afoot. They're like, we're postponing the triumph. I'm wheeling the chariot back away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. For a second there, I thought I was saying something ridiculous. And I was like, I don't think I'm making no. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Just my overactive imagination. Excellent. Please continue. So, yeah, so all of that glory will have to wait, Dr. G, for there are more pressing matters afoot. Now, please. Fill me in, because I'm sure you have much more detail than I do. I literally don't. Uh, when you foreshadowed that there was controversy around this triumph mm. and this Ovadio, I was like, oh, sweet, Libby's doing something with the source material I've yet to encounter. <laughs> and I'm like, we literally just get this triumph and Ovadio done and we move on to the next year. I don't know. Well, for me, it all starts where trouble usually begins, the Tribune of the Plebs. Oh, Tribune of the Plebs. Yep, yep. There's one Tribune in particular, that is causing issues for Rome. This is one Gaius Terentilius Harsa. Oh, yeah. Does he pop up in your account? He does, later on. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, perhaps, yeah. actually, is there anything you need to tell me before we get no, into it? No, okay. no, you go. All right, all right. So, basically, because the consuls are busy, you know, war and that sort of thing, this particular tribune thinks this is the time to strike. Of course. Very clever. <laughs> So he demands for he demands for some changes which are a little unclear because of course we can't be 100% sure that Livy is accurate in what he is recording here. According to Livy, he is asking for a restriction of the authority of the consuls. Ooh, what yeah. do, that sounds a bit nebulous. So like reigning in their imperium, I would presume. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. So this is potentially... I mean, I can see how it could work. As really? In, 
Well, as in, sorry, not as in it could work. Like, you should totally do that. <laughs> as in, I can see how Livy gets this idea because his reason for doing so is that we are free. We believe in liberty. We are Romans. What are we doing giving these consuls so much Iberium? Oh, that kind okay. of thing. I can see how yeah. it could work because the Romans are notoriously touchy <laughs> about anyone having too much power. Mm. Okay. However, my, tra- my little translator voice, as in the voice of the translator, <laughs> not someone who lives inside of me, <laughs> has noted that potentially what this tribune was actually asking for was a general cap on the kind of power that, a patrici- that any patrician could have. And by some sort of overall, potentially actually just creating an actual like written down or, you know, set in stone kind of legal code rather than it just being, well, as it is right now, relatively informal based on traditions, you know, and the way things and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, precedent. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's potentially bigger. Okay. And what Livy records. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay, so yeah. we do have some parallels, I think. Okay. Um, is this all happening before the end of the year in Livy's account? Yes. Wow, okay, okay. Because mm. for Dionysius, this is all happening after the election of new consuls. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, look, it definitely seems a bit mucked up because he goes from talking about the triumph to being like, well, that's delayed. We have to <laughs> deal with this internal issue first. And then the triumph can go ahead. Pause, and then we'll do the triumph. And yeah. the consuls are like, but, but... <laughs> but I'm ready. I've got the purple, especially. <laughs> I'm wearing the right toga and everything. <laughs> yes, so... All right, so, yeah, so we definitely... Yeah. yeah, we definitely have a thing going on. Okay. Um, so there seems to be some general rumblings from within the population who mm. were oh so uh, agreeable last year. I was going to say, your population has nothing to complain about because they had an opportunity... And it passed. My population, Dionysius's version of the populace, uh, is not very consistent in its aims or goals, which mm. I think should raise some questions about <laughs> who the populace is and what Dionysius of Halicarnassus knows about them at all. <laughs> anyway, um, they are now starting to stir up some trouble, um, and he classifies it as them not. Um, they're being propelled by the tribunes, so there's kind of like this narrative at all times running through Dionysius through this period that the tribunes are the bad guys and and Mm. it's not the people that's the problem it's the fact that the tribunes keep trying to grasp the things through the people and from and moving beyond their station as it were (laughs) chipping away at the patricians privileges one by one i think we all know (laughs) that the populace are just a little herd of sheep oh they will follow wherever they're led (laughs) (laughs) indeed (laughs) and so there we have it so there seems to be a general rumbling however that equality of speech is an issue and a A quality of speech yeah also known also combined with this idea of equality of rights so there seems to be like these two ideas sort of floating around and Mm. merging with each other okay is this like Um, free speech kind of okay yeah this is all heading towards things that uh libertarians will love um (laughs) but but uh patricians don't really (laughs) like um so equality of speech and equality of rights and the demand that all business, both private and public, be carried out according to the laws. 
Okay, so, so this is where we potentially match up a little bit. This seems to be some sort of implied criticism that uh, the patricians have been operating in an atmosphere of lawlessness, yes. unbeknownst to the wider populace. Yes, well, and, and Hasa wants like a special commission of five men who are going to draw this up. Yeah, and they yeah. want they want to have some sort of clarity on how what the laws are, yes. who can see them. This is the, this is going to be the beginning of something big, listeners. Oh yes, we're on the cusp of something large. We really are. So they, he talks about the way in which um, when they had the kings, kings just decreed the law. Whatever the king said, that was that. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, the king. Oh. <laughs> the Romans didn't like the king. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. After they're like, boo, the king. And they yes. threw them out. Yeah. And then we have the consuls, mm. who are this dual uh, magistracy, equal in imperium to each other. Mm. And they're supposed to, you know, propose things and work it out between them. Yes. And the trouble is that this meant that because they were also the highest magistracy in the magistracy in Rome Yes, that if they weren't present in the city, certain types of litigation couldn't really take place. Mm. So if you wanted to bring something before the consuls, and it was a matter that was supposed to traditionally go before the consuls, and the consuls were out fighting a war, you couldn't bring that litigation. Yeah, this is the issue, I suppose, with these sorts of offices. The consuls are... I, I guess we're just not used to this idea per se anymore. The consuls are this really tight mix of all sorts of functions, you know, military, political, judicial. Like, there there are a lot of things rolled into one, which, I mean, yeah, I obviously I know that technically the President of the United States is also, like, the chief of the army or whatever, but it's not the same. No. No. And, and the way in which these powers are sort of all invested in these two individuals is kind of like it's supposed to be a balancing act as well. So mm. ideally you'd have them both there and they'd both weigh up the case or whatever True. it was. Um, now that's the first issue. The other problem is that there's a lack of transparency because Mm. every year you get new consuls. And so it's not clear from case law, what is still being upheld and what isn't and what is maybe going to be useful to pursue under this consulship and what maybe shouldn't be tried at all. And Nobody really knows what the laws are. The only people who really have any idea are the patricians in the city. Yes, and this is the thing. It's There's definitely a very strong vibe coming through Livy that it's about the fact that it seems to be very much, you know, what strikes that particular consul on that particular day as the right solution that is, you know, it, it seems like the people are getting this feeling that they're not, there's no consistency. Yeah. And, and as you say, like, and they don't really know always, therefore, what the rules are going to be. Like, what are they playing by? Like, and I can understand that. That's frustrating. And as I say, this is obviously setting things up, I think. It's either... <laughs> it could be Livy getting a little muddled, but it, it, it's definitely setting things up for what is to come over the next you know, decade. Yeah. yeah. And, and this seems to be a really big idea that's being floated here. Absolutely. I mean, this is huge. And... I think this is a big step. I mean, in terms of Rome as a civilization, I'm getting a little misty. Because I feel like... My baby boy is growing up. <laughs> They're gonna start writing down laws. No, <laughs> they just grow up too fast. Transparency, <laughs> integrity. Well, it would be so weird living in a place where, like, it is just sort you, of tradition. Year on year, you just don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like like there's obviously a whole bunch of people who know what has gone before and that sort of thing, but just being preserved by word of mouth and 
you know, just just like a general education sort of thing. Yeah, and there yeah. are some sacred books that you can consult, yeah. but only some people know where they are and only some people look at them. So it's not like you can go and just try and do some preliminary research for yourself to figure out whether you should bother uh, pursuing a case in a particular way because exactly. you don't know where to yeah. find the information. No, and that's it's what I mean. The Romans are so guided by, like, as I say, like precedent, you know. It's yep. just, yeah. Mm. Uh, and, yes, there is an overlap in Dionysius and Livy. He does also credit this Gaius Terentius Harsa um, with uh, being a tribune at this point in time yes. and being the one who first a- attempts to propose these kinds of measures. So he... Essentially wants a five-man college, as you noted, to legally limit the powers of the consuls, but how they will be limited is not at all clear. No, I mean, Livy definitely talks about this idea that's mooted <laughs> of the five, the five guys who are going to, you know, sit down and write out, you know, the rules, basically, um, and talk about, you know, what authority they do and don't have. But of course... This freaks out the senators and the patricians because the consuls are away and they feel like this is obviously a low blow. <laughs> and so good old Quintius Fabius comes back into my narrative. Oh, goodness. I know, because he's the prefect of the city in the oh. absence of the consuls. How so long? he gets the senate together and he goes to town on this idea and Hasa so violently that nobody else could apparently have done a better job. <laughs> he is down with the smack talk. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it gets pretty nasty. Oh, in goodness. Yeah. yeah. Is, Look, is Fabius part of your... No, not at all. <laughs> so go to town. Uh, you've, I'm on tender hooks awaiting this narrative. Oh, well, I mean, as usual, Livy doesn't give me much about what he's actually said. Damn you, Livy! <laughs> um, he just says that he's particularly violent. <laughs> In his feelings for this particular... I mean, he, he basically is a master of spin in this moment um, in that it's... He's sort of talking about how Hasa, who I'm going to call him Hasa by the way, because it's just easier to say, how this Tribune Hasa has been underhanded, you know, waiting for, the, waiting for the consuls to be away to make his move. Like, it's a trap, clearly. <laughs> Don't fall for it, guys. Um, and that he was, you know trying to rile the plebeians and like well, the plebeians, the populace, whoever he's talking about, he's trying to rile the people up while pestilence is going on. Like he's going all the way back. Like this is, this is the thing. It's obviously something that's been building for a while. It's not something that's just happened. I would say when the, with the, um, with the Volskians and the Aquians, I, it seems like there's been some feelings that the tribunes have, or some of the tribunes have been starting to work on the people, which perhaps ties in with what you were saying about there was like this, sort of very weak motion put forward about the allotment of land and then it was just sort of dismissed. But definitely I get the feeling that he's saying, he's trying to paint a picture of these guys who've been working underhand for years. <laughs> Always trying to undermine the state with exactly. their requests and demands. And that this guy would have been happy if the Volskians, the Aquians had been able to you know, attack the city itself because, you know, he's, he's basically striking at the city you know, when they're, you know, the consuls are off waging war and that are a low point. Like, it's not a good picture. Who holds your political knife? The yeah. Volsky eye? Yeah. Mm. And he does have a very good line, which, if I may, I think is particularly good. Please do. <laughs> he basically starts talking about how, you know, you are going to be the destruction of us all. And he says, You were elected tribunes of the plebs, 
not enemies of the Senate. Ooh! <laughs> pow, pow! Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's general nastiness, the kind of stuff that you would expect. But, you know, he, he does a good job in that the other tribunes seem to be uh, put off enough that they start saying to Hasa, look, maybe we should just wait till the consul's back so we don't look like, you know... We're being dicks. Chill, dude. Nice idea, but wrong time. Wrong time. Exactly. And so they agree to put it off for now. And the consul, they, they wait for the consuls to come back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's at this point that Libby talks about the triumph happening. Now, I have to say, yeah, I have to say, the thing I find interesting about this is not actually the triumph, but a little detail that Libby gives me. And I'm so curious to know if Dionysius has it as well. So, as we mentioned in the previous episode, Lucretius ends up getting a lot of spoils because, you know, <laughs> massive victory. Hello. But what he does is he puts it all out in the Campus Martius, like all the, all the booty that he's captured, and leaves it there for a couple of days. And the Romans are able to come and collect what would have been, like, what was theirs, what was formerly their property. It's like a massive lost property, Roman style. <laughs> These are all the things that the Volsci stole from us that we just came back as booty. Well, seriously, what? It, it seems crazy. <laughs> it's like this weird game of like they take it and they give it back. <laughs> and yeah, so people come around, they check it out, they're like, oh yeah, that's mine, take it away. And then whatever was left over after a few days, they sell, which is normal. But it's just this like massive military lost and found that I find amazing i don't think i have ever heard of that happening before sounds incredible yeah and it's like it's like a jumble sale and you're like just rock up and it's like how are you going to prove it's yours well, gonna- <laughs> exactly like how are you going to prove like whose is what but anyway describe it to me well the junk had a handle no <laughs> describe it for me <laughs> did dionysius mention any of this no crazy <laughs> I feel like it must be true. This is kind the first of... Roman rummage sale. <laughs> Did you lose a pot in the war? Boy, come and well, see our pot collection. Campus Masters, three yeah. days only. The only thing I was thinking of was maybe because they did apparently pillage like near the city. Maybe this is like a very large scale thing and it's people who live like outside of the walls or something who were able to come in and claim their property. It's not really clear, but... I was just like, what is going on? I did not know that the Romans did this. <laughs> Neither did I, but that's kind of incredible. I love it. Me too. Anyway. I want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I just, I just had to whack that in there because I thought that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those Romans. Yeah. So this is when I come to a new year with new consoles. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's the new consoles. It is. It's... I have got Publius Vol... Oh, God, I, I never can say this word properly. Publius Voluminus. No, that's not right. Voluminius. <laughs> Whatever. And Servius Sulpicius. All right. Okay, so we're in agreement. It's roundabout 461 BCE. Yay. Publius Voluminus, son of Marcus, grandson of Marcus, Amintinus Gallus. Yes. A patrician. Their Surprise. names are getting crazier. Their names are getting crazier. <laughs> and Servius Sulpicius. Camerinus Cornutus. Camerinus Cornutus. Yeah, yeah. Also a patrician. 
Famously, his grandfather thwarted a conspiracy to reinstate the Tarquinii in 500 BCE. Well, good for him. Mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) That's so long ago, even I don't remember it happening. We're going to have some tribunes as well, but I will wait till they come up in the narrative. (laughs) Ah. So, I mean, some tribunes that are actually named, not just being these <laughs> little unnamed tribunes who run around every now and then. Well, I mean, a good deal of the detail um, sort of switches, I think, in terms of the focus of the narrative, because from it sounds from Livy's side, once uh, Gaius Trantius makes these sort of proposals, it kind of... And he gets... Terentilius, Dr. G. His name is even more complicated. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have, I have or Terentilius. Yes. Uh, I like Terentilius. <laughs> Gaius Tarantius or Tarantilius, Parsa, <laughs> um, once he has that smackdown, he sort of like, the whole idea sort of goes away. Yeah. That's not how the narrative plays out in Dionysius. Oh, the all. idea will be back, don't you worry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. The yeah. idea stays present in the same okay. year. So mm. Gaius Tarantius sort of proposes it in 461, mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody gets their dander up a bit. And the motion is broadly supported by the other tribunes of the plebs. Well, good for them. They're not the cowards that the ones in my account seem to be. <laughs> so, particularly, and remember this name, listeners, Aulus Virginius. Yes, that's one of the ones I have as well. Yes, yes. this guy's going to become pretty special. Yes. Um, but he is one of the other tribunes. He's like, I support that motion. <laughs> um, and it turns out that the Senate and everybody else who has any influence whatsoever in the whole Commonwealth... Um, says that's a terrible idea. Mm. Mm. All the How people in power I'm are like, I don't think I want to lose my power. I'm so surprised. I don't <laughs> like that idea very much. Mm. I think you can definitely tell which way Livy or people at the time were thinking of this because before he gets into the details about it being like what he co- what he's now known in Livy's account as the Tarantillian law. <laughs> Before getting into the revival, he talks about these hideous prodigies happening. Oh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm excited for prodigies. Yeah, I particularly like the ones that I mentioned in my account because apparently there is a rain of flesh, but it doesn't smell. Now, that's just disturbing on so many levels. I mean, I'm glad that it doesn't smell. But a rain of flesh? Oh, Gross. look. Just, yeah. yeah. Just you wait. We're going into some vivid detail. They're descended upon the earth from heaven. Mm. What appeared... To be a heavy snowstorm. Uh, Instead of snow, it was pieces of flesh. Some smaller, some larger. (laughs) Most of these were plucked from the air by flocks of birds before they hit the ground. Oh, I thought you were going to say by hungry peasants. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They flew up into the air into this flesh storm and picked off bits of flesh before they hit the ground. As a vegetarian, this really turns my stomach. (laughs) On the other hand, the bits that had landed on the ground um, just lie there for ages. <laughs> Why would you leave the flesh lying around, well, guys? Okay, this is what I don't understand. Surely, if it's perfectly good meat, someone's going to be eating it, right? Somebody should try to eat that. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't change color um, and over time, and it doesn't rot, and there's no bad smell. Oh, God, it's making me ill. And I'm like, is it frozen flesh? <laughs> Is that what's going on here? I was like, because I feel like, like, what's a simple explanation? I was like, okay, we've had a snowstorm, guys. And what I can tell you is it's meat. 
Um, and everyone's like, hmm, but doesn't smell. Doesn't smell at all. Doesn't really look like meat. Um, Maybe this says something for the general quality of meat available in the Roman world. But this is amazing. This is incredible. Yeah. Uh, what a story. I'm glad our sources match up on this. Um, Dionysius sort of prefaces this as being like the culmination of the worst of the worst portents possible. Oh, okay. um, Because there's all sorts of things going on. Things flashing through the sky, outbursts yes. of fire ramble randomly there are uh earthquakes mm. rumblings um okay, people are seeing things specters of some kind well um, my favorite thing is definitely an appearance by the predecessor of mr ed a talking cow Ooh, <laughs> i have no talking cow in my account. i have a talking cow that's impressive yeah. what does the cow say Again, this is where I can't really understand Livy's rationale. I know. He just tells me that a cow has spoken. Well, I'm the same. I'm like, what would a cow say? Apart from Wilbur. Sorry, that's that's a really long... I really wish that Livy would just like get together with maybe Herodotus for a couple of years (laughs) and learn how to tell a story properly at this point. Come on, Herodotus would give us all of the details of what the cow said. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So yeah, that, that was my favorite one. <laughs> so I've classified all of this section of recounting of prodigies in my notes as massive foreshadowing. Thanks, oh, Dionysius for sure. yeah, of sure. It's obviously so concerning that in my account, they decide they must consult the Sibylline books. Oh, do yes. Do they do this in your account as well? Well, they first of all go to the local soothsayers. Oh, cool. So this would be the Etruscans. <laughs> go local. Yeah. Think <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, think global, act local. Yeah. Let's talk to the Etruscans. And they are literally unable to conjure up any interpretation of a stove's norm of flesh. <laughs> like, That's refreshing because I feel like, like that means it doesn't happen very Yeah, often. they're like, you know what? We've got nothing for this. Um, yeah. And it's at that point then that they consult the Sibylline books. Yes. Now, I thought we might need to refresh our listeners' memories on what the Sibylline books actually are because it's been a while since we spoke about them. I don't know if we've spoken about them since the kings. I don't think we've talked about them in any great detail since they were acquired by the Romans. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and boy, what a story that is. Look, to be honest, it's a very hazy backstory to the Sibylline books. (laughs) Um, But from what I understand... They were thought to be a collection of ancient wisdom. Now, in theory, I believe they thought at the time that it was so ancient that it went from like before the Trojan War happened, which is, yeah, given where we're at, where we're at right now, it's like the, the 460s BC. That's like a thousand years at least. That's impressive. Yeah, but this is what the Romans think, like the Romans and the Greeks think it is. Probably not is what we would say to that. Ouch. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so skeptical. I, I want to believe. <laughs> yeah. They called the Sibylline books because apparently there was, you know, in sort of the mythology, there's a woman who's super, super old who would make uh, predictions and she'd be in this sort of ecstatic state as she was like, and just like rattling off these predictions. And these are things that apparently were handed down in written form and made up the Sibylline books. Interestingly, as we have talked about in a previous episode, the Romans apparently had the chance to buy the Sibylline books. The complete set. Exactly. There's only one. But because the king was, you know, a douche about it. <laughs> he was like, I don't think that price you're asking for is fair. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't really know what he was looking at, to be fair. It's not like she said, these are the Sibylline books. I, I don't think she did it. Oh, no. She rocked up and she was like, these are incredible. I, I, know, I, know she, did she, I know she said they were incredible, but did she say they were the Sibylline books? 
Well, the thing is, there seems to be only one set going round. I know, it's weird. Yeah. And she rocks up and she's like, these books contain all the knowledge. I don't know if they're, I don't know what she calls them, but she's yeah. like, these are very important. Oh, for sure. She definitely you says know. they're important, but he still likes books. He's like, books, know. you know. I'm not much of a reader. <laughs> anyway, so six end up being destroyed in that lengthy. <laughs> in that negotiation process, because yes. then she burns three and she's yeah. like, I'll say you six. And he's like, are you crazy? He's like, what's the price? And she's like, same price. <laughs> he's like, what? The price isn't going down, just the number of books, buddy. <laughs> he's like, what? Yeah. And it's like, who is this woman? Why is she burning these books? And he's like, you know what? I think you're crazy. And she's like, uh-huh, we'll see about that. You keep that. thinking that, yeah. <laughs> I just threw three more books in the fire. Yeah, and so eventually like, the Romans apparently get their hands on three. Of they, a possible nine. Yeah, which they have in their possession apparently until a fire destroys all of them. <laughs> much, much later in like the first century BC. So for now, they're still around. Yay. Yeah. Anyway, so just a bit of a refresh. That's what the Sibylline books are. And that's what they turn to because, you know, the meat falling from the sky. Mm. Actually, when they say flesh, do you think they mean human flesh? Is that why they're not eating? Is that why nobody's eating it? Yeah. Um, that would yeah. certainly explain the flocks of birds being interested, but the people being like, you know what? I'm not that keen. Looks like an arm. Gross. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, what is the conclusion that they reach in Dionysius when they consult the Sibylline books, Dr. G? Ah, so the conclusion is that there is that the city will be involved in a struggle, and in order to prevent the enslavement of its citizens, um, and after foreign enemies have penetrated inside the walls, um, they'll have to invoke the gods through sacrifice and prayer in mm. order to prevent the enemies uh, from gaining the upper hand. I have the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Be wary of immigrants <laughs> or foreigners. Foreigners coming into so, your walls yeah. and enslaving your citizens. Which politicians sometimes say these days too. <laughs> yes, um, but they don't use a prediction book for that. Um, and then that factionalism is to be avoided at all costs. Yes, we yeah. must unify. Exactly. Yeah. We must stand together. Which I feel like is very convenient for the patricians to have such a message at this point in time. Let's put aside our common differences. <laughs> A common difference. <laughs> yeah. So definitely both of them are setting the scene for a pretty significant episode in the clash between the patricians and the Philippines. Yes, yes. Mm. But wait, I have a theory about the flesh. Oh, okay. Yeah, go for it. So let's say that there was an earthquake and there was a volcano, so outburst of fire. Right. And people got caught up in that. Oh. And the storm is actually the things that are from that volcano raining down back out of the sky. So like it's raining people that got killed? It's raining people. Oh. <laughs> I'm really having a terrible effect on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose so. But would it be like enough i mean when we say it's raining flesh are we talking about like an arm <laughs> or multiple <laughs> how much flesh constitutes a snowstorm exactly yeah anyway all right so i also feel like uh I, i'm kind of with the tribunes on this in my account the tribunes of the plebs are like look this whole process of getting these commissioners together to consult the sibylline books you're stalling patricians we oh, are mucho yeah. suspicioso. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a real problem because everybody is like, the tribunal of the plebs are like, sure, um, we don't want to displease the gods. That's super important. Yeah. Um, but we also don't want to really yield on this issue of greater transparency with the law because that's <laughs> kind of important. Um, on the other hand, the consul and the senate are like, well, 
by resisting, you're really just trying to prevent the unity that we need right now. We've just had this oracle. Um, so the consuls are like, you guys are the ones causing the trouble here. Yeah, we talk about a lack of transparency. I find the patricians very transparent right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty clear what their agenda is, but... Uh, and the tribunes then blame the consuls, being like, you know, if you just, you know, agreed to some basic uh, equality mm. of rights and good systems of law, then we could move on with this and it would not basic be an equality. issue. What do I look like? An idiot? <laughs> I am a patrician. See, it's at this point in my narrative that the Hanitians arrive once more and say, um, you know how you had that resounding victory where people were saying like the Volskians have been wiped from the face of the earth? Well, it turns out that they have bounced back. They actually still exist. And what's even better than that, they are clearly preparing for another war. Wow. So what are you going to do about that? Okay. Of course, the Senate say, oh, how alarming. We must immediately levy troops. Quickly, quickly. Now, of course, the tribunes, being quite savvy in my account as they are, start saying, please, this is yet another stalling tactic. You can't fool us for a second that, okay, if this is happening, let's say I believe you, Senate, the Volskians have clearly been talked into it. It's a prearranged war. It's not genuine. And that's not what, we're not into that. We're into genuine conflict. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I only want to fight in real wars, not manufactured wars. Yeah. Is this is any of this sort of a... No. Ooh. Yeah, no, yeah. this is... Uh, we've got a real divergence in the source material now. Nice. The Hanutians are not not at all in my narrative. I feel sorry for the Hanutians. I feel like they are accused of being a pawn. <laughs> Nothing but a pawn. And I feel sorry for them. <laughs> Did you call me a prawn? How dare you? <laughs> uh, so, in Dionysius's account... What we see, first of all, like the consuls and the tribunes spend a lot of time blaming each other. Good times ahead. Yeah. Uh, so they're not really doing anything. No. And the tribunes push things forward by calling an assembly of the people. Okay. And they talk about that they need to bring to law these demands. So uh, they want some sort of like legal basis for pursuing their demands, essentially. So they want the people to ratify that they can pursue this further. Okay. This equality at law thing and the people approve that and they're like yeah sure um and then they go into some more detail about what that should be so what they want is 10 men chosen by the people meeting in a legitimate assembly Mm -hmm. they want these men to draw up the laws concerning all matters both public and private lay them before the people Mm -hmm. and then thirdly they want those laws to be drawn up and exposed in the forum for the benefit of the magistrates who would be chosen each year and also be persons in private station a code defining the mutual rights of citizens so if you were a magistrate you would consult this code that's available openly in the forum Mm -hmm. and if you're a private citizen you could just go and look at it yeah so that sounds incredibly reasonable yeah so they're basically asking for a shared public code of law access to knowledge about how their world works yes yeah so this is something that romans later become very famous for i agree having codified openly understood laws very excited Uh, (laughs) everyone's quite excited at this i'm very excited at this point this is the first time it's been proposed Apparently. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. So this is huge. Well, I would believe that actually, because I feel like it took them a while to, you know, get other stuff with the Republic sorted. 
you know, because even though I know we've been talking about the Republic for a while now, it's still, you know, fairly new considering how long it will last. Mm. Like, only really, you know, couple of decades in really oh we've really just gotten started we didn't even know what we were doing well i still feel like theoretically it's possible for someone to have been alive in both the regal and republican periods at this point in time yes so yeah i feel like okay yeah once you've actually tried out this new system and it's you know you've adjusted to all the other things i feel like it it would make sense to suddenly go hmm wait a minute Things could be more clearer. I know what we're missing. <laughs> I feel confused. Yeah. Can somebody be clear, please? Um, so the tribunes frame this in terms of like, we need to have a public discussion about this. So they set up a sort of a three-day um, discussion around this so people can come forward at any time in the public space and talk about the pros and cons that as they see them. Um, lots of people deliver speeches during this period. Lots of people are talking backwards and forwards. There's lots of pros and cons. Um, then the tribunes realize that this is turning into time wasting. <laughs> they're going to lock this down. They're like, wait a minute. We told them they could all talk and they're all doing it. Um, and so then they get up and say, look, we need to have a, a day to ratify this. Um, they want every plebeian to be there. Um, and they don't want to have any more long, boring speeches. <laughs> They're going to give their votes according to their tribes. Wow. Okay. This, none, of, none of this is happening in my account yet. Yeah. So <laughs> this, is, this is all sort of like, um, how does a tribunate assembly really work? And what role do different people play? Oh, so it's sort of being massaged a little bit. Dionysius is giving us one of these history lessons. Yes, how I think you? so. I think so. Um, so... The consuls and the patricians essentially go to the tribunes and tell them that they're terrible Mm. um, (laughs) and that they're not going to allow them to propose laws. Tribunes of the plebs, that's not your job. Mm. It's never been your job to propose laws and it's certainly not your job now. Um, And especially not laws which really require the Senate to make a preliminary decree about them. I kind of, even though I hate it, I kind of feel like they're probably right at this point in time. Yeah, so the Senate is kind of like, look, that's our job. Proposing laws and stuff. The people's job is to ratify laws. Your job is to protect the the body public yes um, well this is i mean and this is this is where we've always got to be cautious when the tribunes come up in the in our accounts because by you know by this point in living in dynasty's account the tribunes have become notorious for the kind of havoc that they can wreak on the political system yada 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 but at this point in the republic most academics are of the opinion that the Tribune of the Plebs was actually a fairly unimportant position. Yes, and so. and it seems like really what is happening in this narrative and what Dionysius is trying to push is that the Tribunes are pushing for more power for themselves. Yeah. And they're using their position as Tribune of the Plebs mm. um, to court the popular... Um, support in order to push for more into their role so they're like okay so this whole um, sort of open public multiple day session talking about these things is really just a way of getting the populace used to the idea that they're allowed to have a say and the tribunes will be the vehicle for them having a proper say 
And if they decide that they want a law, then really the tribune of the plebs is the person who should be proposing it on their behalf. Right. You know, so it's a softening up. And it's like, because this kind of thing hasn't happened before. It hasn't been like an open, open public forum situation. Well, it's so interesting because it's so different to what happens in mine. Because after the tribunes are like, yeah, nice try, consuls. We know exactly what game you're trying to play. And we feel sorry for the Volskians, the Aquians, the Hanesians, anybody whose name has been sullied by your sordid dealings. And so the Senate, well, sorry, not the Senate, the consuls go ahead and they basically set themselves up where the tribunes can see them and start holding the levy because they're like, this war is real, it is happening. Now, at the same time, obviously the tribunes run to this location uh, and they're like, in, like getting the people involved as well. Um, and so a riot essentially sort of starts breaking out at this point in time. Um, where the consuls are trying to levy the people, the tribunes are trying to prevent this from happening and trying to incite the people. So it becomes much more violent and less organized than what you're suggesting. Wow, yeah, this is going off in a completely different direction. Yeah, because basically the tribunes are there so that every time a man is, you know, called up or, you know, a lictor is sent to, like, get a guy into the army and sort it out, the tribune would be like, release! And he has to, because that's like the tribune's job. So it's almost Harry Potter-ish in, in that I, ex- I expect the tribunes to be going like, Expelliarmus! <laughs> People just be flying through the air. So and it's almost, it's almost as though the point of this is that, you know, having certain rights are not enough. There needs to be, you need to have the physical strength to actually be able to fight your way to the freedoms that you want in this particular scenario goodness me i know that's what i mean it's so it's just so crazy where the tribunes the tribunes are basically blocking the senate the consuls from carrying the levy the senate are blocking the law it's a bit of a stalemate sorry you're up to that are you yeah well it's actually the sort of thing where um i think this might be uh an interesting moment to wrap it up actually because we're deep into this sort of like complex nexus and our narratives are starting to diverge and actually i think this is going to get more complicated the further we get into yeah, this Yeah, because I think it's, I think that there's might be there might be some overlap because after this incident of violent uh, violent levying, <laughs> um, that's when the tribunes try to get people into their centuries to vote, and I feel like maybe that's Ooh, what Dionysius okay. is referring to there. But yes, All right. this does seem like a good point to wrap it up, which means, Doctor G, that it is once again time for. I'm the partial pick. Quick, Eagle, peck out the eyes of the consuls. Do you see flesh <laughs> over there, my <laughs> eagle friend? It is a portent. All right, so we can award the Romans a potential total of 50 golden eagles. Ooh. Yeah. So All what right. we got up first is our category. Military clout. Well, actually, I don't feel like there's much to talk about here. Well, they're trying to raise an army. Yeah. In Libby. Yeah. But they're not doing a great job of it. (laughs) Release that man. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel like it's much. I feel like it's nothing. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's nothing. (laughs) All right. Diplomacy. diplomacy. Ooh, this is mm. tough. Yeah. Look, I mean, are we talking external diplomacy? Because that's a bit of a zero. We always have this debate. I mean, <laughs> in some ways, I think we've agreed in the past it can be both. Mm. So external diplomacy. In my account, the 
patricians are trying to help out their allies. Oh. <laughs> but in every other way, are being complete douchebags. <laughs> that might be a two out of ten. Well, the tribunes are also being that. I mean, they're both being stubborn. I'm in a stalemate. <laughs> this is true. And the tribunes and the consuls are really at loggerheads with each other. So there's yes. not a lot of diplomatic work going on there either. No. Mm. So I feel like maybe... I don't know, a one. Oofed, <laughs> <laughs> Rome. Yeah. Letting the side down. Yeah. All right. Expansion. Uh, no. Still a big no. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's uh, a zero. Yeah, having some trouble there. Okay. In fact, I mean, things may have even contracted. I mean, the flesh has arrived now. <laughs> it's hard to say. Cows are around. Weirtus. Okay, I feel like there's something going on here. Ooh. I mean... Oh, so hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I kind of feel like being arrogant and stubborn kind of buys you some sort of points if you're using it in a political... (laughs) Well, yeah. So I suppose part of the issue here is that I I think weirdness tends to be associated with the patrician class as much as anything. So it's like it's part of their thing and it's part of how they define Romanness. Yeah. And I feel like although it might be really on some level quite virtuous in the long term, weirdness like um, for the tribune of the plebs to propose like a, a law code and transparency in these things, nobody in the patrician class is going to credit that oh, as, no. as being a manifestation of weird Oh, no, no, no. I was They're going to see that as subor- insubordination. The, I was thinking more of the consuls, like, you know, setting up their chairs and being like, let's do this troop thing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys, we need to go to war. Yeah, I feel like there's something in that. And let's face it, they have also been successful, like, not anyone in particular this time, but I feel like they have been... Oh, no, actually, wait. No, I was talking about Quintus Fabius. I feel like Quintus Fabius, at the very beginning of my story, he displays Virtus by like ruthlessly annihilating <laughs> Hassa um, and defending patrician rights and making sure everything's done with due process. And I feel like the patricians as a whole, by trying to, you know, see this off and, you know, stick to the, stick to the way things are done, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of... Something. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, look, but I don't want to give it a lot of credit because oh, no, I no, mostly not, disagree with the petition, petitions and their position. I just like it's got to be something. Yeah. Like a three? Yeah. Okay, a three. <laughs> God, this is going to be good. <laughs> and the citizen score. Okay. <laughs> now we might be able to give you some points. <laughs> Who's excited to be a Roman citizen today? Well, I just I, went to a three-day festival where I got to talk about my opinions, <laughs> and I'm very excited. Exactly. In your account, they're getting to air their opinions. In my account, they're being shot all over the place when they're being ordered to be released. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I want to join the army. <laughs> well, I feel as though at least the tribunes are doing something, because far too often, these tribunes of the plebs are clearly in the pockets of the patricians, or just allied with them because, you know... They may be drawing from people who are not too dissimilar, you know, for various reasons. So, yeah, I feel like it's good. I feel like it would be... I, feel, I think you'd be feeling positive if you were a citizen right now. So, right. like a seven? Wow. Too much? Yeah, look, I mean, you did have flesh rain down upon you as well. But it didn't smell. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Maybe a six. A six? All right, done. Oh, dear. You know, I actually thought that there was a lot of positive stuff happening in this episode, but now that I look at the score... 
It's not great. Oh, why? How did they do? Ten out of fifty <laughs> golden eagles. Oh, that's a fail. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Oh, right. Yeah. What are we going to do with you? But you know what? I do feel like it's partly because our categories are kind of weighted towards military stuff. So when it's a non-military episode, they kind of can't help it. Yeah, look. I mean, I did say at the beginning of this episode, when external things start to go right, <laughs> internal things start to go wrong. So you're not really going to win in those episodes. So maybe what we should do is interpret low-scoring uh, episodes as internal politics does good. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's not great because, let's face it, they haven't, you know, won any certain rights or anything for the plebeians, but whatever. Let's stick with the positives. <laughs> well, on that happy note. <laughs> See you next time.